Colossians 3 today. And Colossians 3 is interesting. This is kind of the, um, this is what happens when you are preaching chapter by chapter by chapter through the, the Bible and not picking a, a set topic to talk about. Because there's like four different things covered in Colossians 3 <laughs> that are kind of related to each other if you're reading the whole book of Colossians. But if you're just picking out one chapter at a time, it can be kind of weird. So we'll see how those fit together. And some of them sort of do and some of them sort of don't. At the beginning, he says, chapter one, or uh, chapter 3, verse 1. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. All right. So we got to talk about this above business. The um, first Russian cosmonaut that went into space, so he's Russian, they're communist, they're atheist, as a, as a government, as a culture. I mean, that's issued to them. That's what they're taught. That's what is demanded of them. So this Russian guy goes, he's the first man in space, which made all the Americans really mad that the Russians beat us. He gets up there, he looks around, he sees all of the stars in the sky, he sees the moon larger than it's ever been, he can look down on the entire earth, and he looks around and he says, I see no evidence of a heaven or a God. Because of language like Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, where Christ is seated above. And so they would argue, okay, we went above into space and we looked around and we didn't see a chair and we didn't see a heaven and we didn't see Jesus, so we're right. Atheism is right, communism is right, yada, yada, yada. All right, so we have to talk about that. What in the world does that mean? You know how right now we talk about um, if, you, if you tape something, you know, like if you want to watch it later, you tape it, but there's nothing remotely looking like tape in your DVR that you get from WOW. There's no tape in there. So you're calling that tape because years ago there was a VCR and you had this big plastic cartridge. I mean, I'm explaining this for these guys, right? You guys know all about this. You had this big plastic cartridge and it had like 300 feet of magnetic tape in it that would roll on two spools. And you'd stick that in this big old metal thing and it would record the Olympics so you could watch it later. You would tape it. That thing was on a little tape. So now we say, I can't watch... Uh, this morning, instead of, uh, just so you know what you're missing, you're missing the marathon. 
which is the second most boring Olympic sport to watch. First being golf. So that was last week. Oh, Olympic golf. We were dying last Sunday. Well, golf is awesome, but Olympic golf was like totally different. Yeah. So um, we call it a tape. So Paul, in Paul's day, they didn't have Sputnik. They didn't have, you know, Apollo 13. And they thought that the whole universe and the cosmos was three layers. There's above, which is all the spiritual stuff that's good. And that's where the stars are. But there's a whole bunch of other spiritual stuff that's good up there with the stars. Then there's this, where we are right here. Flesh and blood, what you can see, dirt, you know, the whole bit. But then underground, down deep, down, 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 that's where all the bad spiritual stuff is. So, evil, here we are, us, and good. And that was their, that was their understanding of the cosmos. Uh, re remember, we're still talking about, you know, they make a map that if you sail too far on your boat, you fall off the side of the earth. And you, and you go down to where all the bad, bad spiritual bad things are. And if you want to pray, you go up to a high mountain. You go up to a high point because there you're going to be higher. You know, they build the ziggurat, which is this big like temple, uh, like the Mayans and the Aztecs, kind of their version of the pyramid. You build this thing that makes you go up high. What do you do? If you live in Egypt where it's all big flat desert, what do you do? You build this giant pyramid so you can go up high and be close to the spiritual things that are good that are up high. So that was their understanding of the universe. So when they talk about above, he's not talking about at 60,000 feet off of the surface of the earth. He's not talking about in the stratosphere or somewhere past the moon, he's talking about where all the spiritual good things are. Which they thought at that time was at 60,000 feet, up, up really high. So whenever you're reading the Bible, everywhere, I mean, I know the Bible spans a couple thousand years, but that understanding of the world and that understanding of that was their science of what was up high and what was down low, is pretty consistent throughout from, um, from Genesis to all the letters of Paul to the whole New Testament. So, think about that. If then you've been raised with Christ, you've been raised with Christ. This is double meaning. You've been raised from the dead, but you've also, you have been lifted up into that place where He is. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seek the things that are in the good spiritual place. Seek the things that are in God's presence. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay, so now he's contrasting. You can think about the stuff that's going on here. Or you can think on the stuff that's going on in heaven. In, in, the, in the place where all the good spiritual things are. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Think about that. If, you know, sometimes you're around somebody and they just blame the devil for everything. Oh, the devil did this and the devil made me run out of deodorant right when I had my job interview. And the devil made me hit that red light so I was late. I mean, just devil, devil, devil. I don't think it's that involved. Because the devil can't find you if your life is hidden with Christ in God. It looks a lot more like in the beginning of the book of Job. Where the devil was going around about the earth and causing trouble. But he didn't even know who Job was. He hadn't even, he had never seen Job. He didn't know Job. Nothing. He was completely off the devil's radar. And God said, well, have you considered Job? Why would God do that? Well, maybe we should do the book of Job. God wants to show off how great he is. And he wants to beat the devil so bad. Just completely annihilate any glory that the devil would... Like he really wants to set the devil up to lose horribly. And so God introduces the devil to Job. Because God knows he will help Job and knows that Job is close to him. That's fine. But man, we are going to beat the socks off of the devil with all of your righteousness. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, every single thing that's bad that happens to us, if we want to blame the devil for it, consider that God looked at you and said, man, I am really going to show off. I am really going to show off. I'm going to show off how bad I beat the devil and how righteous and glorious I am so bad that I'm going to, I'm going to introduce this person. I'm going to put this person on the devil's radar just so I can get that much more glory. How wild is that? And you might say, well, God, that stinks. But without God, we would not only be on the devil's radar, we would be on his hood. We would be in front of his face all the time, freely, with no defense and no hope. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. A really cool thing to do with Colossians the whole book of Colossians, if you have a Bible that you can write in, that you can mark in and make notes and stuff, read Colossians and underline the word life. Because the word life is going to come up so much in the book of Colossians. And then the other cool thing is after you underline the word life all over in Colossians, go back and look at whose life it's referring to. You have died... And your life is hidden with Christ, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Christ is your life. How about that? I was having a crummy day. My kids have heard this already. I was having a crummy day at work this week. And it was hard, and I was not doing a good job. And I was like, man, this is 
hard. I don't want to do this. And I prayed. And it's like, okay. The Lord's saying, okay, that's fine. Are you drawing your source of life from how good you do your job? Because if you're drawing your source of life from how good you dig trenches and you can't dig trenches very well, then your life stinks. But if you draw your identity, you draw your life from Jesus, with whom you are hidden in God, I'm going to really try hard to dig this trench. Okay, don't get me wrong. I'm going to work hard. But if I can't dig it, I'm not going to be discouraged because my identity doesn't come from how well I dig some hole in this world. Because I have my eyes set. Set your hearts on things above where Christ dwells. You have died and your life, your life has been hidden with Christ in God. And Christ, who is your life, when He appears, you will appear with Him in glory. Does any of that have to do with how good I dig this hole? It doesn't. That's all. We t- last week, they were talking about uh, don't get caught up in, in laws that perish. All these laws, don't taste, don't touch, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't do this thing. All of those laws are going to perish and all of the things that those laws are about are going to perish. So how can I get my identity from the quality of hole I dig? I mean, when you put it into those things, it sounds funny, doesn't it? Christ who is our life. I, I just, I want to write that over my computer screen. And I want to write that over my, you know, everywhere. Your life, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You, it says that we're going to meet Him in the clouds. There's going to be like this, this alarm, a, a trumpet sound. The trumpet sound, I mean, we hear that and we're like, what in the world? Well, that was a call to war. That was a call, like an enunciation. That was a, a way to transmit sound that people would hear really far was to blow a trumpet. So there's going to be this alarm, a sound, a, a, an alert, and we'll all be caught up with Jesus and we'll meet It says we'll meet Him in the air. Again, are we going to fly up into 50,000 feet and see Him up there? No, because they're speaking from that up high here it is, and down low, perspective. We're going to meet him in this weird realm of, of heaven on earth business. We're not, you don't have to be afraid of uh, smashing the ceiling at the rapture. And all, you know, I, there used to be movies, there used to be Christian movies where people would get raptured and like slam their head into the roof and stuff. No, don't worry about that. Listen to this. This is Romans 5 and 6, or Romans chapter 5. Verse 6 through 10. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were weak, ungodly, in the midst of that, Jesus didn't wait for you to get cleaned up to die for you. Jesus died for you when you were a scumbucket. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. Somebody that's righteous that thinks that they're better than anybody else, people don't respect. 
Somebody that's genuinely good, that's what that little line is. If somebody is like, man, that is a good person, you want to do something for them. Somebody that's like, I am so good, that's, that's what that little sentence is. But we were neither of those. We weren't good people and we weren't self-righteous. We were worse. But God shows his love in us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? So, well, there's the next verse. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, while we were sinners, Jesus died for our sins, how much more so, now that we are reconciled, will we be saved by the life that he lives? So, if I was a sinner and Jesus died for my sins, now that he lives and I am perfect in him, how much more so is he going to help me? If, if I do something just insane, just like, you know, I, I give you my kidney, and I, I, I give you my kidney, you know, I do the hours and hours of operation, you get my kidney in a transplant. After that, if you want to go out to Major Munch for lunch and eat a giant grease burger with me, how much more so am I going to go eat that delicious grease burger if I already gave you my kidney? Right? That's not going to be a hard ask. If Jesus died on the cross for our sins, while we hated him, how much more so by his life that's now poured out in us, in our flesh. It says, his life is in us. How much more so, and all my sin is taken away. My sin is gone. God doesn't count it. He wiped that, you know, we talked about the papyrus. He washed the debt off of the papyrus and, and it's reused for another purpose. How much more so now is his life in me for my good, for his glory? So hold that, Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, and then go back to Colossians. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Wow. All of, all of Christ's life is in you and working. All right. Let's go to verse 5. My goodness, just spent the whole time on four verses. <laughs> from verse 5, from verse 6, where am I? Verse 5, all the way, man, 5 to 11 is a whole bunch of lists. And Paul says, put to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. I, I have a, a mentor friend, and when I talk to him and I say, you know, this is a thing I'm struggling with, or this is a thing I have a problem with, or this is a place where I can tell I don't, I don't have spiritual control over this. He says, well, you just need to have a funeral for it. You just have to have a funeral for that kind of behavior. And when he first said that, I was like, wow, that is intense. You know, like my greed, 
I want stuff. I want things. Well, you need to have a funeral for that. That's what it says right here. He was just quoting Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives half of a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. I'm going to talk about these, I mean, not totally one by one, but there are ways that these things seep into our life and because the culture thinks it is so okay that we aren't, we aren't mad at it. You know, you, you can be around a whole bunch of guys that are always looking and, and they have that kind of radar and they're always looking at every woman that walks by. That's offensive. Like, that's wrong. That, that is just the, the tiniest little step into sexual immorality, right? That every one of these has a little bitty tiny step that I think we can get dead into that we don't think it's bad. Well, it's, at least it's not as bad as having an affair. But come on, man. Like, why would you even step one foot into that garage? Stay completely out. Impurity. It's wild how the very first one, sexual immorality, seems kind of specific. And the next four are totally vague. Like what in the world does impurity mean? I can only wash with ivory soap. What, what is that? You know what's wild? The Holy Spirit wants to tell you what impurity is. And impurity for one of us is going to be different than impurity for another one of us. And it doesn't mean we all live, you know, we all get to do our own things. We all get to live our own ways and have license. It means you can ask the Lord, Lord, where am I being impure? What impurity do I have that that I can kill? That I can put that behavior to death? Passion. So that's a weird one. This is kind of uh, giving un, unregulated control to your emotions and just really getting carried away about stuff. Oh, man. Wow. You know, um, not that that's bad. Not that being passionate is bad. But there are times where people will do things and their ex- explanation is, I just couldn't help myself. I just, uh, wow, I just didn't know what else. There's nothing else I could do but this. Okay, come on. You can control yourself. That's That's what passion is. Evil desire. This is wanting something that's bad. Or wanting something to happen to somebody that's bad, which would be my case more often. Oh, man. I hope a big cinder block lands on that guy's head. No. But evil desire, wanting harm to happen to somebody else or wanting harm to happen in any way. And the last one, covetousness. So you think covetousness is no big deal. I don't even know. That didn't even come up on my radar. I go, I did some computer training for a guy this week and my co-workers is at a junkyard 
and there's scrap metal all over, and my, na- my co-workers made a joke, and they said, be careful where you park your Camry. They might think that it's a product. It's like, come on, guys. I said, well, I know where to park. Well, I see a parking spot. And my boss says, yes, park right next to the Mercedes. And I pull in to the junkyard, and sure enough, junk, scrap, nonsense, and there's this just beautiful Mercedes parked out front. And there was a parking spot next to it. I got really far in. I pulled way up, so it'd be hard to get a crane in there and get my $200 for my Camry. And covetousness happened. Because when I left, I saw that Mercedes, and I was like, man, it would be so much better to go visit a client in that than this. And that got me thinking about this. Okay, easy way to identify any of these things. You know why they're bad? I mean, just like, I know it's a stupid question. Why is sexual immorality bad? Why is impurity bad? Why is passion bad? Why is evil desire? There's a fruit of the Spirit that goes with these things that didn't happen because that happened. I sat down in my Camry and thankfulness is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And instead of thankfulness, a fruit of the Holy Spirit came covetousness. Man, I would sure like to drive that Mercedes. And we have a peach tree in the backyard. And it's awesome. We don't eat any of the peaches. The squirrels eat them all. That fruit of the spirit of thank you God for my Camry that I've had since 1997 that I've put hundreds of thousands of miles on instead of thankfulness came covetousness and one of those peaches just got eaten by a squirrel. That's what this list is. This list isn't here's a checklist of all the things I need to avoid. It's a checklist of here's the things that are going to eat the fruit of the spirit. Self-control is going to get eaten by sexual immorality. Kindness is going to get eaten by evil desire. Thankfulness is going to get eaten by covetousness. Then there's an even more vague list. He goes on. He says, On account of all these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these ways, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Again, look at the fruit of the Spirit. Goodness, kindness, thankfulness. What's the opposite? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Malice is... I am going to talk bad at you. Slander is I'm going to talk bad about you to somebody else. It's still the same kind of thing. It's just where you aim in the cannon. You know what all these things are? These are all the things that wage against our soul to make Christians look just like the world. Because... These are all the things that come up when the world thinks, what's the difference between a Christian and a not Christian? What's the difference between those people that go to that church 
and everybody else I know. Because if they see sexual immorality, passion, impurity, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, we don't look any different. But, you know me, I'm not bringing all this up to dump some big old law on you. That would be great. That would be really easy to just like check off this list and be like, hey, don't have anger. Hey, don't have wrath. Shame on you. Shame on you for your obscene talk. And you get your curse jar and every time you have your obscene talk, you stick a quarter in it and okay, now everything's okay. No. Because look at the very next verse. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. What in the world does that have to do with anything? All right, so I'm going to say some words and you're going to think of something in your head, right? Like a gangster or a rapper or a Muslim or an Arab, Muslim fundamentalist, right? A guy with a, you know, a, guy with a turban on his head, right? You get a thought in your head. A poor white guy with no teeth and a whole bunch of tattoos. You get, a, you get a picture in your head. And we start labeling those people, right? Black, white, churched, unchurched, Arab, Chinese, white trash. All these labels. And all of those labels... We have a set. Oh, those people, they have anger. That guy with that turban on his head, he has anger and violence. Oh, that lady dressed like that, she has sexual immorality, impurity, and evil desire. We take all the things on this bad list and we put them on those people because the clothes they wear or their style. It is the weirdest thing. It was the weirdest thing for me to meet a dude with his pants hanging down and like all gangstered out and he was preaching the gospel in a, just the most profound way that I, I wanted to repent. I wanted to follow it. Like, I was like, I want to, you make me want to be a Christian. And he knew that, I mean, it was like a year ago. God does not look at outward appearances. God looks at the heart. And so Paul says, there's no Greek. Don't quit judging by this outside stuff. Quit judging by where somebody grew up, what neighborhood they grew up in, or what they took as their job, or, or what stickers are on their car, or how fat the rims are, and how jacked up their car is, and what color the lights are that are shining on the bottom of their car. Because Christ is what matters. Christ is what matters because, if I can preach on those four verses again, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And maybe that person does have to put to death their greed for gold and, and bling and show off. But that's not my business. Because I got other stuff I got to die. I, I got other things I got to put to death. I think it fits. I think it's right in the same context. So, what do you do? Like I said, it's not a list of laws. Verse 12. 
Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. I'm not going to judge that guy and all the bad stuff he does if I'm compassionate. Because the sin that he commits affects me. And the things that he struggles with and falls to, I struggle with and stand. That doesn't make me better. And so compassion. Put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against each other, another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. We forgive one another. All these things put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. All of this, verse 12 on, is what it looks like for Christ's life to be in you. It's what it looks like when you dwell in Christ, when when you're seated with Him. 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We sing a lot at our house. We sing a lot of songs. About 30% are silly and about 70% are Jesus songs. And when you're in a bad mood and you're grumping about something, having a culture in your house of somebody walking through singing a psalm can get you out of yourself where you're anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Anger, wrath, malice, obscene talk, right? Somebody else singing a song, proclaiming the Lord, letting the word of Christ. My wife writes scriptures on walls in our house. So when you're sitting around, you can look up and, oh, there's a scripture. Oh, there's a prayer. It's good. It it helps you dwell. If you go to the donut bank on Lincoln and 41, all you see on the walls is news. And it's Baton Rouge is underwater and Colorado is on fire. The word of Christ is not going to dwell on you, dwell in you richly, if you got a hard line to CNN and Fox News. If you got a hard line to your scriptures. I, knew, I had a guy in college, he had a Bible open in his dorm room all the time. Like he had a designated cabinet, you know, where he kept his socks and everything, and the top of it was completely clean, always had a Bible open. And I said, why do you do that? He said, that's where everybody puts their TV. The TV's always on. My Bible is always on. Wow. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another. It's okay for us to always be teaching each other about the scriptures. It's all right. We can always be encouraging each other. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All of our activities, we give thanks Always look at, you know, we'll be in the car and the kids will complain about something and I'll say, find one thing to be thankful about. And sometimes it's me. I got to find the one thing to be thankful about. And if you find one thing to be thankful about, you can find a second thing and you can find a third thing and it snowballs because what are you doing? You're letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly and it works out and it comes out and shows off. 
good. So it's not a law. It's not a checklist. It's Christ is in you, and all you got to do is let that other stuff die and let Christ reign. Real quick, this last section. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. I love it that the Bible is still relevant today, right? If there's anything that's easy for me to do, it's to be harsh with my wife. And Paul plops that in there. Don't do it, man. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Whoa, it's not just do it because I told you so. It's the Lord is really happy when the natural order of how he set things up works. It pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Like, don't deliberately punch a hole in his inflatable kayak, right, as he sets sail. Don't intentionally do bad things. Bond servants, all right, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. I want to say one last thing about this. Um, we were doing yard work, and this really spoke to me. You know, we have a machete, and we're cutting up sticks. And I have an a, a axe, a splitting wedge, and I'm rearing back and splitting logs. And when you're splitting a log, you either swing that wedge with all of your might. And like if this is the log, you want to drive that wedge to here. You don't want to tap it on the top. You want to drive that wedge all the way through that log. And I said it to myself and I started saying it to my boys. Every hit needs to be a strong hit. Every swing on that deal has to be, I'm going to do something with this. That is, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men. If I volunteer at a soup kitchen and I show up and I say, what is the minimum amount of soup I have to serve today? When can I leave? I am not swinging for the bottom of that chunk of wood. I'm just trying to get, you know what, I got my axe into the wood, that was all I needed to do, right? No, man, we came to split logs. So, whatever you do, whatever God gives you to do, if it's just a Saturday, if it's a Thursday morning, don't waste it. Use your Thursday morning for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. And I pray that you would strengthen us, that we would all have funerals for the things that wage in us, and that we would just let you live, Lord. You have created us and made us into new people. 
And I pray that you would just help us to see that new life that you have put in us that is your life and that it would show off. Thank you, Lord. Amen.